What up, Whiskey Ginger fans? Welcome back to the show. Man, do we got a good one for you today. My man, George Lopez, is on the show. This dude is a legend, an icon, uh, a staple of Los Angeles, probably uh, one of the greatest uh, comedians and uh, creators and humans that I've met in this game. He is a wonderful dude, uh, and I'm so happy that we had him on the show. Uh, I'm on the road. AndrewSantino.com for the tickets. AndrewSantino.com for the tickets. I say it every time, but I mean it. And thank you if you're watching the show, listening to the show, subscribe. Uh, leave a comment on the YouTubes for the algorithm. That's how we do it. I'm trying to bring you a collective of, of fun and different guests as much as I can. The holidays are coming up, but we're going to do our best, baby. But I'm on the road and come see me live. If you want to support the ginge, AndrewSantino.com. I'm going to be all over the place uh, continuing into the new year. Uh, San Diego and uh, Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Phoenix for New Year's Eve. New Year's Eve shows in Phoenix are going to be incredible. Uh, and then D.C., Atlanta, Portland, Seattle, Chicago, my home, Albany. Uh, we're adding dates and uh, as we go. So go to andrewsantino.com for them tickets. Enough rambling from me. Let's go to the episode. In here, we pour whiskey, 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 whiskey. Oh, that creature in the ginger beard. Sturdy and ginger. Like vampires, the ginger gene is a curse. Gingers are beautiful. You won't Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Whiskey Ginger. My guest today is one of my favorite people on earth. I say that for all my guests, but I mean it once again today. It is the legendary, the OG, LA's finest, George Lopez. Thank you for coming, yes, man. Yes, sir, man. Nice to meet you. This nice is huge. You. And George said he wanted something to drink, so I broke this out. My boy, Whiskey Pete, gave this to me. This is Blanton's, um, and this was dumped on 8-14-18, so it's a, it's a special bear. It's oh, more beautiful. special than this, but I figured I could crack it out for Let's you, man. Yeah, why not? Look at it, it's so old that this has fallen right off. Oh, wow. Yo, so tell me, we were just talking off camera, which is funny you said that because I you brought up, I saw last night Adele did like that private performance at um, the Griffith Park Observatory. Yeah. And, uh, Pretty amazing, man. I mean, you know, there's a guy, you know, Neighbor Next Door and Citizen, I'm on, bo I'm on both. I'm neighbor on Next Door yeah. is for what fucking Mexicans call fucking Medici, like a motherfucker that can't mind his own business. <laughs> you know, you pull in and then a house across the street, the... <laughs> People right. look and they go back and, you know, my grandmother was that way. And Medici is a great fucking word. Like, you know, somebody that butts in. Medici. Medici. And uh, um, so, all, you know, all that shit that fucking comedians and, you know. Yeah. Awesome, man. So, wait, Griffith Park, though. Wait, tell me. You were, so we were Griffith, talking so before. Griffith Park, yeah. So, Griffith Park, the observatory. Oh, so the Neighbor Next Door app, there's a guy that takes beautiful pictures. You know, a coyote. Yeah. Uh, uh, a deer, um, yeah, uh, the sunset, the observatory, beautiful pictures. Right. And neighbor next door in that neighborhood is like, you know, I'm leaving town. Can somebody watch my cat from 4 p.m. Saturday till noon Sunday? And somebody would. And it's just, I have a weed party at my house. Like, I haven't had it in two years. You're invited. I want to go. I have a weed party in my house. <laughs> and the it's called who weed in my pool who weed in my pool yeah because you know when i got when i bought that house some guys came over that i grew up with and they were like hey can we smoke in here and i and i, I was gonna say no and then i realized i wasn't married anymore i didn't have a kid in the house and i said back of course yeah weed, yeah inside, go for it inside, right. whatever man so these dudes started to come over and i said hey, should i have a fucking party like just have some music right and have some food and just invite people and 
we were on that comedy get down tour, me, Charlie, uh, Eddie Griffin said, and DL. And the next day we were at the forum and the next day was an off day. And I had my first wee party and Babyface was there and fucking Ed Asner and Larry Fishburne and all these Is Ed dudes. Asner burn. Yeah, Does he man. smoke? You know, he didn't burn. Oh. He just sat there and checked out all the chicks and oh, kept oh, telling <laughs> all the big guys how big they were. <laughs> You're a fucking horse. Just, <laughs> what the fuck? I was hoping he burned. I was like, if that dude smoked, to oh, him. cheers, by the no, way. Cheers, brother. Yeah, and rest in peace, uh, Ed. Uh, salut, yeah. salut. It was awesome. That's, uh, dude, that dude is a, is a legend. So you'd have all these, these people come over, come to the house, and get, get smoked out. Ooh. It's good, huh? Oh, man. Yeah, that's smooth. That's this bottle. You can check it out. You know, that's some good jazz yeah, right there, so, so man. We had a guy runs a dispensary up here, music, had a little combo, had a DJ, selfie booth, Hannah tattoos, porn stars, <laughs> uh, Eddie Murphy, uh, guys I went to school with, Vino Rodriguez, like every around our test, everybody. Yeah. And and it just became this thing. And then the poster was a weed, a pool with a splash of a weed leaf with me in the middle. <laughs> so we, we left that outside the whole day. Right. Then neighbor next door, they're like, what's going on at this house there that there's a, there's a, a, a sign out there all day with a marijuana leaf and my kids go by there. And what is that saying to the neighborhood? What is it saying to the kids of this area? Should we say something? Should we be upset? Who lives there? They're screaming coming out of the backyard at 9 p.m. And then they're going, you know, I was going to call the cops. And then somebody said, George Lopez lives in that house. And then uh, he's on this app. So if you want to tell him something, tell him. Right, on the next door app. Fucking silence. <laughs> Got a fucking word after that. Like right. I, you know, I'm, I'm no thug, but, you know, just, these are just people that, you know, they're metiches, man. They talk behind people's back. Right. So, so, citizen, somebody goes, go on, citizen. So, so, neighbor next door is pretty much like, if anybody wants to go for a walk Sunday, I'm available. And- Citizen is like, I'm shot. There was a dude, fucking, exp uh, 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 guys, a, a flasher down my street, like 800 feet. What, with a flat, like, flash his dick flash out? Flash his dick. <laughs> I'm like, what the, the fuck? How could be one so fucking different than the other? No coyotes, a fucking, they found a body in a fucking rug out what? by Griffith Park by the fucking Greek. Oh, oh no, that's right. I heard about crazy that shit. Yeah, that's crazy. Shit. Yeah. The one app ignores all of that shit. Right. And then the other, it's almost like in the old days, like if you, you were on Johnny Carson, you said, you know, my show is on another network. You know, right. Like, and there was fucking three of them. Right. There was ABC only ABC, NBC, CBS. CBS. Yeah, yeah, and, that's and it. It's like they ignore all the crime. Yeah. And then Citizen is, is it keep it real, man. It's, yeah. The other one, well, there, it's one for snitches. It's one, one for snitches, snitches. And then there's one for fucking thugs. Legit shit. Don't yeah. go out legit and shit. fucking get shot. Did, wait, did you do Carson, by the way? I did. did. You, you did how many times did you do it? I just, do it? I just did it once. One time. Check this out. So, you know. I was working at the Maxim Hotel in 1980, it's Christmas of 87, my grandfather died in 88, had to borrow some money to, to bury him, I was out there, I was making $750 a week, doing shows Tuesday through Sunday, two a, two a night, and I, I was staying in the Maxim Hotel, I would walk across the street to Al Phillips, the cleaner, leave my suits over there pick up like two cheeseburgers and Doritos and a bottle of Diet Coke and come back to the room with the USA Today every day at 10 o'clock. Like clockwork. Like clockwork. I pick up the lifestyle. Ron Schock. Uh, Ron Schock was on the cover of the life of the USA Today life. Mm -hmm. Big A big picture of him. And it was like, it was a, you know, a year later and it was about Johnny Carson retiring and how there's only six more spots for new comedians. Yeah. So I'm sitting in Las Vegas 
just only working there, really not on the road, maybe not so much, but just pretty much stuck there. And I look and I go, fuck, man, it's like, it's like fucking Willy Wonka, like fucking right. six the fucking golden tickets, six golden tickets. And I'm <laughs> never thinking that I would, that I would get one. Right. So I go back to, uh, LA and, uh, Shapiro West, Seinfeld's people, George Wallace people, they were going to come and see me on a Wednesday at the, uh, uh, improv on Melrose. And they come to see me. And as they're standing there, Jim McCauley comes next to him and he, they look over and, the, and Jim McCauley's watching me and he says, do you represent this guy? He goes, no, we're thinking about it. Well, if you do, tell him to, I'd like to see more. So of course they see me and they go, I think we got you the Tonight Show. Fuck. Fucking bullshit. They were saying next to fucking Jim McCauley, they didn't give me shit. <laughs> and then I went over there and it's like those, it's like those things that I don't, I'm sure nobody does it anymore. Like say you're Jim McCauley, I come in. He goes, okay, what do you got of this? And you do it in front of him, just you and him. In the, I've done, yeah. Doing stand-up in the room for an executive right there is so wild, Fucking man. Crazy. It's crazy. I mean, you're just in a little box room. Sometimes there's a camera on you and there's a dude, little, a little like, you know, 19 year old dude who just moved here recording you with the headphones on it's so fucking uncomfortable and nobody can do it i don't give a fuck no i don't care how hard you crush and, and and it's always fucking awkward so i'm talking mm, ha, ah, no laughs yeah nothing and he goes okay uh i'll tell you what i don't like this in the front move this to the middle move the back there move this here and then none of them go in order it, then they, they, they rearrange they, your they whole set the whole fucking shit yeah I go home and I work a week, 10 days. I'd fall asleep on the fucking pen. I'd wake up, the pen would be stuck right here. And then the <laughs> next Wednesday, I go over there and by chance, he walks in again and he comes up to me and he goes, hey, uh, are you doing any of the stuff? And I said, yeah, 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 I wasn't. Right. But I did it and then he followed me out and he said, hey, congratulations, man. I think you got, a, think you got your spot. Fuck. And I was like, holy shit. And then it's right around when Magic came out, HIV. Oh, and wow. And then I was on that week, and Bill Cosby bumped me. And then I got bumped, and all my friends are like, all oh, comedian friends are like, man, you're never going to get on now. Once you bump you, because those over. guys that got bumped and never got back on. Yeah. So I got bumped, but I got like the next Wednesday. They, they I, slotted you in. They were like, we'll get you next Wednesday. Yeah. Did you think that they were going to fuck you on Wednesday or no? I did. Yeah, you were like, that's not going to happen. This is gonna get, I'm going to get slid off, slid off until it goes Crazy, away. Crazy, man. And then uh, I did it with Lisa Stansfield and Bob Newhart. And uh, Johnny Carson was getting some death threats from crazy people in Burbank. Why? So, I just I think I think it's just those fucking stalkers. Like, Cra oh yeah, just like, like a stalker was more dangerous back when somebody would just turn up behind your car, right? Or, right. Or by your right. They would just house. show up. Yeah. It wasn't about the internet. They would be like, "I'm coming." They'd yeah, call. They, I'm coming. Oh, they'd fucking come from. I mean, I mean, look at Robert Blake he was sending letters to that. Oh that yeah. Lady, she came out. And, yeah. You know. So so. Um, after the show, he comes down the hall. These police come down the hall, and they go, clear the hall. Everybody clears the hall. I'm fucking standing in the doorway like, I'm fucking clearing the hall, man. And right. he comes around the corner, and he's got this, like, polyester, the big knotted tie, <laughs> liver spots on his hands, and his right here, and he stops. He shakes my hand. Oh, was, oh, you know, that was that was great. Maybe talk to Jim, come back one more time. I was like, I don't give a fuck about coming back one more time. But I did it, man. I did it with That's why. Never thought. You know, did never, it, did, never thought. You were, were you already kind of running a little bit then, or did it change your life? Like, was you know, it, it didn't change my life. You know, no. Drew, Carey, Drew Carey was one of those situations where, like, you know, Freddie Prinze, like Freddie Prinze in 1974, 73, yep. whenever he did it, he, he came, Sammy Davis Jr. was on, and then, and then Freddie came out and killed it, and then Johnny Carson called him over. Yeah, to the couch. And Drew Carey got called over. And, you know, Drew Carey was living in his car, man, like, and he wow. he did the Tonight Show and and fucking just 
Roy, yeah, had that, you know, I've the, seen the, it. The tie, yeah. And he goes, you know, it was raining. He gets pulled over by the cop, and he goes, right. you know, I pulled you over. You know why? You know that kind of that's yeah. beautiful, fucking masterful. And uh, and he just blew up, man. It's like you can see fucking people blow up. You know, Tim Allen. We talked, and he never did it with with never did stand up. Like they wanted him on, but he wanted to do stand up on Johnny Carson. He didn't want to come out and just talk. He wanted he wanted to do stand up. But he did. But the couch because for stand ups. Doing couch is another form of stand-up, yeah. but there's something so formal about getting up that you want to kind of, back then, at least I'm sure, guys wanted to show that they could do that set, you know, and kill that set. Yeah. Because killing it, on the couch is different than killing on the stage. Killing, you know? on, killing on your feet is better because, you know, they might think it's a setup. Somebody asks you a question. Hey, tell me about your daughter. My daughter. Right. And you're up there. It's just you. Yeah. And you look over to your left and you see Doc Severinsen. You look over to your right. You see Ed McMahon and Johnny Carson. You see Freddie Cordova, you see all the people, you see the clock. It's wild. Fucking crazy shit. Yeah, man. And what does that feel like then years later Then you have your own show? You know, like, well, you had, you had more than one show, but Lopez Tonight, you had your own talk show like yeah. that. Did you, did, did that ever kind of feel, did that ever kind of feel, as a comic, is that, was that kind of wild being like, hey, man, I have the opportunity to bring up other comics? Yeah, I did, yeah. Because you did. I mean, you did. On that show, hosted a shitload of comedians, uh, man. Uh, Maz, uh, shit, we had a well, group. Well, Alonzo did it. Right. Oh uh, yep. Uh, um, Felipe um, did it. Yeah. Felipe did it, and yeah. uh, um, God, Cristalia. Uh, uh, yeah. Like, all those because the girl um, uh, was looking at him and saying, "I found these guys," and I would look at him and I'd say, "All oh, these guys are all fucking great, man." Like just yes. line them all yes, up and yes, bang yes. them out. Yeah. yeah. Did you always want to have a, a show like that or no? You don't know, man. You know the the guy. You know Jim Peritori. He passed away. He was doing Ellen, and there was a guy named Dick. Uh, um, Dick Richard. Richardson or Dick, and he was the head of syndication. So one day, when we were probably had like fifty three episodes of my sitcom, we walked across the street to go meet with syndication because syndication was at eighty eight. Mm. And man, all of it, all of that's been a, it's been a fucking just a wild thing, dude. Yeah, I'm like the guy. Well, we'll get to it. But so we're in there, and Paratory says, you know, Alan had just started, and then Paratory said, you ever thought about having your own talk show? And I said, I still got this fucking show, dude. And he's yeah, like no, no, that show's not going to run forever. I don't say that. Just let, let me get let me get through this. <laughs> let me finish the race first. Let me finish this. Yeah. And then Paratory came. I took a year off when the show ended in seven. And then uh, I took a year off at home with my wife when I was married. And it, it was not, not a good year at home because you're so used to going someplace right. for seven years. And now you're at home. It was a little difficult. So in eight, I signed a deal. And then we did TBS. But TBS was not the place for late night because all those motherfuckers were scared <laughs> to piss people off. Right. I remember I did a, uh, we did a thing with a nun on a stripping pole and we did a thing with uh, uh, somebody who was on Dancing with the Stars that I got in trouble for making a joke about her size and <laughs> it was all that shit in one, Andrew, in one, one fucking one, show. One like show. Seven, seven flags on one butt. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they were fucking killing me. And then I don't think I've ever said this to anybody. My my wife calls me and says, you know, so and so has a weight problem, and you ought to be more sensitive. You know, you have an issue with weight. I'm like, bitch, me. <laughs> and it's just, you know, it's just, it was just, you know, you couldn't listen. I think I think part of late night is not making everybody happy. Yeah, you can't. And those dudes. Wanted to make everybody happy. Right. And Jim Peritori said, hey, man, you guys want to go swimming and you don't want to fucking get wet. Like, let us do our thing. Right. One day, no African-Americans are watching. Too many Latinos are watching. No women are watching. No no uh, uh, Hispanics are watching. 
And it just became a thing. Every, I, lo- I, I enjoyed it. I look back, I enjoyed it. But I didn't like the idea of somebody beating up your ass every single fucking day. Were they oh. handing you those statistics every day? Like, yo, man, we have to have more black. We have to have more a, women. A little, a little bit. But yeah. all the things that, you know, we did that thing, creepy little white girl. <laughs> she would appear in the thing. She had like a, like a Vandy Camps, a cookie baker outfit yeah. with a doll with no head. And Carlos Santana was like, oh, I fucking love that girl, man. I love her. Every time I see her, I would send them the tapes. Yeah. And then they were like, we hate her. And then we did a thing, bullet hole, not a bullet hole, where, where you took people who were like ethnically diverse and they would ask a Korean guy, you know, have you ever eaten dog? And then they would stop and you'd bring a contestant and they're like, I'm going to say no. no. And then the girl would go, yeah, I went to Korea to visit my grandmother and we're all eating and I didn't know that she, <laughs> she was feeding us dog, you know? So it was all the stuff that was wrong, but all the shit that, that makes it right. Yeah, that, that made it funny. That made comedy funny. And then a lot, of, a lot of times, you know, the, uh, it was like the first guest of like Far East Movement and a lot of Justin Bieber's first late night show. Wow. And all that kind of, all that kind of shit was fun. That's wild, man. What now, but now, now is all that stuff in the past for you. You want to just tour and do stand up and do your you thing. You know what? I, you know, I didn't want to let the pandemic kind of finish or, or just end in the pandemic, you know? Yeah. I've been yeah, doing yeah. it a long time, 42 years. Yeah. And so, so I still enjoy that. I'm selling tickets, but I could kind of see maybe the, the end of the tunnel. You know, I'll be 61 next year. I was born in 61. And to me, 6161 is a nice. That's a good way to it's say. It's a good way to go. Yeah, that's a good 61, way. 61. Well, but what does that mean to you in terms of like, there's no way you're going to stop creating. So, no. What does but, it look like? Um, I think it looks like, you know, we're doing the restaurants now and the beer's doing good. And yeah. then we have some weed that, you know, this guy says to me, you know, you know, you can't stump, you can't stump us. I mean, right. you ever, we're never at a loss where, oh, I don't know. The guy says to me, you know, you follow uh, edibles and you follow marijuana. I said, I do. He goes, do you see something out there that, that's not there that you think should be there. And I said, yeah. He goes, what's that? How about Vicks, the mentholatum rub that everybody uses? Mm-hmm. How about you put CBD and THC in Vicks? Mm-hmm. And we did it. I would love that. It's coming out. I'll send you, put, you, you put it on your chest or something like that? You got to send me some of that. I love that. beautiful, dude. It, I'll send you some. Because I use that. I, I will. Everyone uses that shit, especially if you're like feeling a little off and oh, you're like, I need you, to knock out You just out put it right here? Right on your nose? Yeah. Look at my grandmother put it behind my ear. She would go, <laughs> you, you know, here. Here's some for later on. It'd be behind your ear. So if you were in class, you'd go like this. Fucking, <laughs> <laughs> like a fucking pitcher with like fucking yeah. pine tar. You know, yeah, just behind shit. the earlobes. Yeah. Yeah, but so then, because uh, what's wild to me is like, you know, you, you, start, you, you started in LA and it's- I started the comedy store in Westwood. Oh, you did? Fuck, man. The, the original. My podcast. The original, it was in Westwood. It was tiny. Uh, I saw Gary Shandling there. He was driving a 280Z. A Datsun 280Z. Wow. And uh, we would see him pull up and he opened the hatchback and he pulled out like a purple windbreak and he put it on. It was all wrinkled. All his notes were there. Scripts from Sanford and Son. Wow. All the stuff he was working on in his car. We'd walk him, We'd walk in with him. And were there guys, who was the guys from that generation that you think kind of helped you out? Did anybody throw, throw you a bone? And, you know, like, Joey Gaynor you? was always cool to me, man, from the yeah. beginning. E- even, when I, even when I wasn't doing it, I remember my friend Ernie, who I used to go with to the clubs and he saw Ernie at the Ramos Chinese for the, super, the original Superman premiere. And he says, hey, man, where's George? He goes, oh, he's not doing, you know, much stand-up. And he said, uh, tell him to come back, man. He's funny. And that meant a lot. Wow. And I saw Ernie the next day. He talked to me. He said, remember Joey from the comedy store? Yeah, he's, I saw him over there. And he said, for you to go back to that, you were funny. What do you think, what, what, what was it that gave you the first pop that you ever had? What was the thing that you were like, man, I think this is like the start of something? Um, man, I, worked, I, was still, I was still in high school during the day. And then the first time, you're a little bit shaky. And then the second time, not good. And then I took a week off and I kind of, retool i didn't have anything i just moved some things around and then the third time i got 
mixed up with, it was a sold out Monday night in the end of June, 1979. It was always fucking packed. People from Westwood, good looking people. And Joey Gaynor came by me at like 8.50 and he goes, you're next. And I was fucking, me, I'm not supposed to go up there. Nine nine o'clock spot's good, man. Fucking went up there and I didn't even know what I was doing. I fucking killed him. And then me and Ernie ran out. I was taping, I taped everything. We ran out and we ran up and down the street. Like I'd never felt so good about myself. Because you knew what you were doing was was right. I felt like I had just gotten an infusion of, of what real of of love of being funny and yeah and I, we were just running around looking for we listened to that tape like ten times in a row it was only like four minutes but I think Arsenio too back there in in um, Arsenio was coming on uh, January of eighty of uh, eighty nine and I saw him the middle of February and as I left the stage he followed me and he said hey I have your tape in my office but. I'm going to put you on, man. I've never seen you, but you have the tape of the office, but I'm glad I saw you. And I did that like 15, 16 times. We're still friends. That that, that means a lot. That means a lot to me, man, because, you know, Arsenio was in that time where if you went to the bank the next day, everybody would be like, hey, man, we saw you on Arsenio. Like right. everybody would see you in those four. He was on five years, but in the first three years, you huge. couldn't go anywhere. Huge. It was massive. so massive. massive. But that's when TV was so well watched. Like everyone would watch. And what he was doing was, you know, he did NWA. He did, mm-hmm. you know, Hammer. I was on that show he did with uh, Vanilla Ice where he, you know, the tough question. You know, he called him out what a little bit. Ham- yeah, 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 he called him out. <laughs> he called him out. Green, <laughs> yeah. green fucking yeah, suit. I remember that. Shiny ass suit. And he was, I guess he was at the American Music Awards the night before. He was hung over. And they're going like, you might have to put you... Uh, first, first, I'm gonna put a comedian first. Yeah, homeboy's asleep, man. He's had a long night. He's up there trying to wake him up, trying to get him ready. <laughs> Great, fun times. Yeah, man. But that, that, I think that was it. And then '91 was the Tonight Show, and then Arsenio finished in '95. And then I spent like you know '95, '99, like in a dark road comic, dark place, drinking a lot and just drinking and traveling too yeah, much. Yeah. Awful, Motel, 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 hotel. Yeah. yeah, that kind of that kind of thing. Yeah. Do you was there because your generation, I always hear from the from some of the older guys, they were like, You motherfuckers don't even know. We used to not get paid sometimes. Like, did you ever have it where they fucked you on money? Well, we or- went to a place we went to a place to uh, where Amway's from, like uh, in Michigan. Yeah. Um, and the last comedian comes in, closes the door, he goes, We're gonna get fucked. Like, what do you mean? He goes, We're not gonna get paid. And everybody's like, What the fuck do you mean we're not gonna get paid? We're not gonna get paid. This dude comes in, he goes, uh, I got bad news for you guys. You guys aren't going to get paid. We're like, what do you mean we're not going to get fucking paid, man? What the fuck? Motherfucker puts a, a, a briefcase down. He opens it up, takes out a fucking gun, and he goes, you're not getting paid. <laughs> All right, I guess we're not getting All right, fucking man, paid. All right, man, what about airfare? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Ate mm. the fucking airfare. I, I said, I just, and then I think somebody said, I'm just owed airfare. I'm owed air. That's all and I the need. the guy's like, you're not going to get paid, motherfucker. And That's we called up our agent. Uh, it was at uh, uh, Gersh. Uh-huh. Um, and he hung up on us. We told him the dude pulled a gun on us, and he fucking hung up. Yeah, like, he's like, I'm, he's like, I'm not dealing with that. With this shit. But you know, n- not a lot. But uh, you know, certain times you 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 get you you'd get fucking stiffed. And um, I remember I was in Dallas when my show first started. And I went to this club in Oak Cliff. You know, this kind of ghetto, kind of Latino area club. And I went in there. You know, it's, it's like a little cartel. I'm like, what the fuck are we doing? It's like a fucking cartel hangout. The guy comes over to me and he goes, Señor López, mira, soy el dueño. I'm the owner. Possibly that one day you can do a show in here. I said, yeah, well, like, one day I will. Fucking dude comes with like a cord 
about 100 feet of cord with a microphone. He fucking gave me the cord of the microphone. He goes, ahorita. Right. They put the light on me. And I was out. like, no, not right now. And then fucking, I did like 20 minutes in that fucking club because I had to. Yeah, you were forced to. Yeah, there was no That's way. That's crazy You shit. can't say no. Yeah. You can't say no. No. They brought the whole fucking thing with the. <laughs> and you're like, wow, man, this is some, some wild shit. In here, we pour whiskey. Whiskey. Hey, I've spoken pretty openly on this show about mental health, mental uh, health awareness. And I'm telling you, BetterHelp is incredible. Um, It's uh, helped millions of people. Um, If there's something in your life that you kind of want to get out and uh, and get help for, BetterHelp is there. Uh, It's not a crisis line, okay? Uh, Like we've said this many times before, um, it's professional counseling done securely online. It's not self-help. They're there for you. You start communicating in under 48 hours um, and you log on to your account anytime from anywhere and speak to your counselor and you can change counselors if need be. You don't like it, switch it up. You don't got to go to an uncomfortable waiting room and be underneath those big bulky lights and feel weird as some guy pens through a highlights magazine that someone else completed in 1998. It's a lot, uh, a lot better to do it from the comfort of your own home or office or car or Airstream or wherever you are. Uh, you can log in. And BetterHelp is, uh, they're committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches. It's more affordable, by the way, than traditional offline counseling, which is huge because it gets expensive. Um, And BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. They're also recruiting counselors. So if you're out there and you're one of those people, you can also uh, do that. And you can read their reviews at BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, BetterHelp.com slash reviews uh, to check it out. Visit BetterHelp.com slash whiskey. That's Better H-E-L-P dot com slash whiskey to join the over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. Um, this podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp and Whiskey Ginger listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash whiskey. Hey, since you're listening to this show, I think it's safe to say that you love listening to podcasts. Well, you can find a ton of binge-worthy podcasts, including ours, on Amazon Music. Amazon Music has more than 10 million free podcast episodes to listen to. Uh, pretty amazing. Amazon Music isn't just for listening to podcasts, of course. They have thousands of music stations and top playlists to stream completely for free. But you won't, man. And no matter what you're listening to, you can go hands-free with Alexa. Alexa, play Britney Spears. I'm a slave for you. Weird. Uh, if you're like me and you want your music on demand ad-free, you got to try Amazon Music Unlimited. They sent me a subscription to this, and boy, oh boy, it gives you unlimited access to over 75 million songs as well as podcasts, music videos, and much more. Amazon Music Unlimited, you can listen to any song anywhere offline with unlimited skips. I love this. This was huge because I travel all the time. You can't be online. Uh, even with the Wi-Fi on the planes, you don't really get it, but you can have offline Amazon Music listening to all these songs, which I was huge with because when I travel, it's annoying uh, and you run out of episodes uh, of Rick and Morty to watch, so you do have to have something else loaded up in the chamber, and Amazon Music listening to stuff uh, offline was pretty incredible with unlimited skips. There was no regulation on that, so I loved it. If you've never tried Amazon Music Unlimited, now is a great time. Look, you're getting everything else from Amazon. Why not get else your music as well? For a limited time, new customers can try Amazon Music Unlimited free for three months. No credit card required. Come on, dude. Just go to Amazon.com slash WG. That's Amazon.com slash WG to try Amazon Music Unlimited free for three months. Amazon.com slash WG. Renews automatically. Cancel anytime. Terms apply. Ginger. I like gingers. Yeah. You know, at that time, you know, there wasn't really a lot of like uh, Chicano or Latino comedians, especially Paul Rodriguez or Mencia or whatever. Sure. But nobody who was who was progressing. Like you'd see those dudes, they kind of, like Paul Rodriguez kind of 
was in the beginning of of the 80s yeah and uh um but for a guy to get a tv show and then the show lasts mm-hmm. then he goes and does something else and he's going to do animation movies and movies and all that stuff that you know i've been you know, i've done well the whole time yeah no i mean well that's what's interesting i mean you say it but i've thought about that a lot about how like there's such a rich latino community in la obviously but also as far as like latino comics goes on in your generation coming up it was mostly you doing clubs with all white dudes I mean, yeah. was there wasn't a big no. faction of Latino comics. I mean, and if they did, did they not want to go play those those white rooms? Did they want to do more East Side East LA rooms, or were there more Latino rooms that were only Latino no, comics? No, no, not at all. No, no. I mean, um, there was like a place in Ventura, Club Soda. There was a fucking Lampos Pizza, the Deli Smoker on Ventura. Right. Um, you know, the Deli Smoker on Ventura. There was this guy there that was a that was a uh, a medium, like a psychic. They mm-hmm. did magic and he and he read futures. Right. So. My girlfriend in high school was named Judy, and you know I, was, I had fucked her. I think I'd gone to like a motel with her. She'd gotten married and divorced, and I was kind of seeing her in the early '80s. But I was also seeing a lady that I worked with. She was older than me, and we get in the car, and she's silent, you know. And, and I said, "What's going on?" And she goes, "Nothing." And I said, "What's going on?" She <laughs> she she always believed in the cards, uh-huh. so she went over and got her fortune read, <laughs> and that fucking dude told her, didn't know it was me. Whoever you're seeing is seeing someone else, and her first. Initial starts with J and she gets in the car and she tells me that. And I, and I said, no, what the fuck that guy (laughs) motherfucker nailed it for anybody that he didn't, he didn't know me. (laughs) He didn't know her and he didn't know the situation. And you're just like this motherfucker. He smoked it out. Fucking, fucking nailed it. (laughs) He nailed it. That has got a while that that's, I don't trust. I've never done that. The medium, all that. I don't trust that shit. It weirds me out for some reason. There's a little bit of some voodoo shit because yeah. he had it right. And the yeah. whole thing, I was like, what the fuck? You know, I, we, we believe in it as a culture. And um, yeah, so I grew up, I've grown up believing the house that I live in now has, has had some demons in it, poltergeist. Wait, so did you have someone come check it out or something like that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, can I'll show you, you some pictures, Ben. Uh, you got to tell me though. What it like, how, cause to me, you know, like I, I as a kid, I remember going to my friend, my, my good friend had uh, a split level house, right? The half of the, half of the bottom was below the ground and half was above, you know? Yeah. And they had said that the, the, the woman that lived there died in the house. She fell down the stairs and died. <laughs> <laughs> so one night we were in the basement and I never was into all that shit. I never bought it. You know, into, I was like, nah, I don't know about spirits and all that shit. And one night I'm sitting there and my, and my, and we had gotten high and my buddy went to bed. This was, I was in high school. And I couldn't go to sleep. And I kept looking at looking up at the stairs thing. And I'll go in the kitchen and go eat something, you know? And as right, right as I was getting up, I hear the kitchen door. There was a there was a pocket door in the kitchen between the bedrooms upstairs. And I hear it. You can hear the pocket door. And I'm thinking, oh, maybe his brother's up. I'll go say what's up. So I go up there and the door is closed. But I was like, I heard it open. I know for a fact it was open, right? And I go, I I, I open it up, I go in the kitchen, he's not there. I think nothing of it. I go back downstairs and I'm eating, sitting on their their uh, pullout couch, watching TV. And I look over at the stairs again because I'm like, man, that's so strange. And I swear to God, to this day, it's never happened again. I saw a thing come right around the stairway and to the left. Like, a, like an orb? I couldn't even tell you what it was. It, I could feel it. I saw it. Mm-hmm. I know what it was, but I couldn't, I can't articulate it. But from then on, I was like, I'm not sleeping in that fucking basement. I'm sleeping upstairs, outside in the garage if I have to. Well, you know what? If there's people out there that don't don't believe in that shit. Yeah. It's all you got to do is look at at YouTube. Some of the stuff is false, but there's a lot of stuff. I was always into like abandoned buildings, so you know my daughter gets me watching YouTube. I'm not watching YouTube at all, right? And now that's all I fucking watch. <laughs> yeah. But in the house that I bought, um, 
Which is crazy, man, because, you know, I lived in Toluca Lake, loved it. Yeah. Bought one house, you know, the show moved around the corner. And then leaving that house, I thought, oh, it's going to be tough, man. It's a beautiful house. And then I, I leased a couple houses and I thought, well, the next house I'm going to buy is going to be the one I'm going to live in. So, so I said, on, on Truly, I find this house and I, I tell my realtor, hey, see if you can get me an appointment over at the house. And she goes, we got tomorrow at one o'clock. I'm like, one o'clock? She goes, oh, everybody wants this house. So we go in there. And there's people filling out, you know, looking at their driver's license and filling application on the hood of their car. Oh, they're ready. They want and, it. And I'm like, what the fuck is it? Do I want, do, let's look at it. The guy, the realtor sees me, calls the guys who own it. Hey, George Lopez is in here. You know, oh, yeah, tell him, tell him if he gives us full price, we'll, we'll, it's his. Cash. Cash. Yeah. Full price. And they told me that it was a Saturday, Sunday, Monday, first thing in the morning, May, got it. Damn. So, uh, I was doing St. George and over there for FX, like 14, wasn't kind of living there, doing some work. And then I was born at the General Hospital off of the five and uh, headed toward East LA. Mm -hmm. And uh, when I was born, I never knew my father, but my grandmother, my mom wanted to name me after who she thought my father was. And my grandmother, who was just mean and fucking incredible, like <laughs> funny, mm -hmm. fuck that. And she's, you're not naming him after that motherfucker. She tells the nurse, what day is it today? The nurse is like, it's Tuesday. No, on the calendar, it was St. George Day, April 23rd. So he goes, oh, your name's going to be George. That's how you got your name. So wow. in the fireplaces, they were all charred from all the years. I brought, a, I brought a guy in there to sandblast, you know, layers of paint off there. And I said, hey, man, go into that uh, master uh, fireplace and, and, and clean it up in there, man. I was thinking about, there's this ornate thing around it. And he calls me up and he goes, when you get home, man, look inside. There's like a conquistador in there. And I look inside and it's a fucking St. George tile from the 1920s. Get the fuck out of here. Inside your fireplace. Holy shit. But this is... Uh, Damn, George. This right here. Did that fuck you? Does that fuck you up when you, when you felt that? Does, yeah. I mean, it's like, that's like something else is... That's hard to explain. Let me see what you got. So this one here, um, it'll say numbers... At mm -hmm. first, which mm -hmm. is not me. And then you'll hear banging and you'll see orbs flying and a flash. But remember, I live alone. Okay. Yo, this is solo. So this is me holding the camera. Okay. Look at the orbs flying around. Holy shit. Wait till you hear the banging. What is that high pitch noise? What is that? It's a, a sound for the dogs. Okay. I mean, that is so... I, that's in your house. You're alone. I'm holding the camera. What the fuck? That's so loud, George. You're loud, dude. <laughs> oh, my God. Holy shit. What do you do, though? You sit in it. You sit in it. You let it just happen. You, you know, want to just feel it? You want to have... Because I'm, know, I'm the kind of dude that's like, I'm in my car. I'm, I'm gone. You know what, man? I was pretty cool with that but then i felt like there was check this out i felt like there was something on the right side now that was in the left in the hallway i mean you can also see those little light that the light is going you are you sitting in your bed recording that you're sitting in your in your room and you just wake up and hear that check this out so <laughs> so on the right so on the right side all of a sudden i'm like i feel like there's something over there i take a picture and then i there's a rectangle in the picture and i Zoom in the picture, and this fucking green head is in the fucking painting. It's not in there. Yo, what the fuck? It's not in there. 
See that fucking green head? Yeah, man. So what are you what are you doing about that, this now? That fucking green head right there? Yeah. And in that video I showed you, if, yeah. I, if I zoom it in, there's something in the reflection in the p- picture in the hallway that is oh my mov- God. that is moving while I'm talking. But here, here's another here's another one. So 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 do you uh, have? So, are you going to have someone come to the house to investigate any of this I had stuff? Somebody or come, but oh, I'm you did. Do it again. So I'm not going to tell you who it is. I was friends with somebody who was who was rather uh, uh, successful, very famous. At that, you mean uh, doing that uh, thing? In, no, no, in in business. Okay, okay. And um, um, I took a picture of a. Was it? An, it was the anniversary of his passing, and I took a picture of a picture, but in another picture, his face is morphed. It's distorted, which happens in movies. Yeah, man. I never really check this out. I mean, that's, I mean, the, the world is supernatural though. It's like, unless you experience it, it's hard to kind of wrap I think your people, head around. People, some people don't, they don't vibe, which is cool, but, but you saw it, you saw it. And oh, then yeah. I hear this stuff. Um, okay. So let me, when I had said that, by the way, when I, that story about my friend's house, I remember vividly the way I felt when it happened. Like I knew someone was there. Do you know what I mean? I, I, it wasn't like. It wasn't like I saw it, then I felt weird. I was feeling strange, like, man, I think so- his brother or someone is there, and I could just feel this thing move right around the stairs. But I can see it. It was bright enough where the T, you know, the light from the TV bouncing off my face. I could see this thing just shift around the corner real fast. You know, so, you know, some of those things, man, some of those things are, here's the original picture. Let me see. Okay, right on. So I took a picture of this. Let me show you. Mm-hmm. Let me show you this in this picture. So <laughs> look down here at the bottom of the picture. There's an image of somebody at the bottom. That's not, that's, that's the frame of the picture. But that, uh, that's, that's a reflection. It's not. That does, yeah, that's. It's not me. No, I know, but that's like, that's not you. That's a, that's like what would be in the reflection, but that's just a person. It's just a person. Oh my and God. They're not, they're not in the room with me. And that's <laughs> not in the frame, but that's, that's half of it. So then I take a picture from the side and uh, a picture would, a picture wouldn't distort. Right. And look at the face of the guy in this picture. What the fuck is that? That's, Distorted. oh my God. If you took, if me and you took a picture right now and you took a picture from the angle, our faces would be in the angle. It would just be angled that side. And yeah. This, and this one is. So his mouth is open. open. His eyes are. And, and there's a, there's a, there's a mist over me. Look at my face. There's a mist. There's a mist over me. That's not. That's in the a covering picture. up your face. Yeah. Oh my God, George. So I had the lady come in. Yeah. Uh, I might have her come in again. What, well, did, what did she do? What did she, what did she like deduce of, of, of all this shit? She deduced shit? that there was uh, probably, uh, I mean, whoever lived there before, they lived there a long time. Yeah. And um, the first people that came in, they would say uh, to me, oh, uh, there's a powder room. Like when you come in, there's like a place to hang coats. Right. And the person would say, what's going on here? I said, I don't know. He goes, did, uh, did they have kids? I said, I think they did. Yeah, yeah. Okay. They might have. Put the kids in that closet to punish them. Don't ever. Cl- she said, "Don't ever close that door. That door hasn't been closed since the day I." Since, you since take the hinges off that bitch. You're just like, "No, nah, fuck, fuck that. That, yeah. that fucking thing in there." If I really wanted to test it, I would close the door and sleep in there overnight. And then, and then there's an there's an attic above, and she goes, "That's an attic, right?" And I said, "Yes, okay." They put the kids up there, oh and they put the kids in there to punish them. Oh my god! And is your uh, assumption because my assumption is the banging is those kids that are in the attic or in that. Hey man, ah! you, heard, you heard that banging loud, right? That was so loud. I was holding the, I'm holding the phone. Right. And that shit is, that shit is Loud. Banging. Do you ever go up in the attic or no? 
that that night I I went over there and it has a light on the outside. I turned the light open the door, nothing. Even I had the uh, the Orkin guy come to see if there was droppings or something. Yeah, there's animals upstairs. Nothing. Yeah, right. That's the instinct is oh it's gotta be animals rummaging around or and something. Do you, and do you know what day it was? Like the guy I showed you the picture? Mm. It was the day that he passed. No. So I found out about it. I was at a doctor's office. Somebody sent me a text that they shouldn't have. Yeah. Found out in the car. And then around sundown, I said, hey, man, if you're out there and you're okay, let me know you're okay. And that's what happened that night. Jesus Christ. That same night. <laughs> I don't want to say who because. Yeah, no, it's fine. But when you, when you, when you said it uh, right before we started talking about this, that you said in my culture, it's part of the thing. We believe it. But do you think, you think that's been influenced your life so much that it's kind of surrounding you a little no, bit? No, I, I, I think that that house had some issues. Yeah. Something happened. The pol- so if you call, if you call somebody, you know how people have to say all hands. Yeah. If you call somebody, they might show up, but right. also it might be a poltergeist showing up to pretend that it's that person, like an exorcist. Right. Right. When when <laughs> right. when the little girl's talking like, "Hey, father, you have any spare change for a, the the fellow Catholic?" Right. Then it's that girl. I right. mean, there's there's a lot of that going on. That's and, and, and also up the street. I think Lisa Bloom from Court TV bought this house, and in the 50s, the mid-50s, a doctor lived there with his uh, wife and two kids, and he took a ball-ping hammer to the kids and to his wife. I think the kids lived, they ran out, and nobody's lived in that house before. Jesus Christ. And uh, I went by it the other day, (laughs) and I told the guy that was driving me, I said, I think I can fucking live in that house. (laughs) Nobody wants to live in that house. I'm like, I think I I can fucking handle it, and nobody wants to go to that house. He killed um, him with a ball pin hammers. And, and here nuts. it is right here. This is uh, Wouldn't you just get a divorce? I don't know why. why you that motherfucker. <laughs> grab a hammer, dude. There it Go is. Go get right a there. fucking lawyer. Let me see what it looks like. And it's uh, a big house. It's a big house. And it's called the Murder Mansion. Yeah, I feel like and I've nobody, seen I feel like nobody's I've seen been this. in it since. Empty. Lisa Bloom bought it. And I think they were doing some work and then they stopped doing it. Well, did they, uh, did they, she gut it out or anything or just leave it how it yeah. is? She, I, th- I think they, they didn't do anything. I think it's just empty, but in, but the inside, but. Um, Ooh, that gives me the fucking creep. He was man. a doctor too. He was a doctor. The dude that killed his wife. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so have you, has this been, so, no. So you've you all been, always been interested in the, in the supernatural and shit like that or no? Well, you know, fucking Yorona, man. You know, the, that whole story about the, the woman that drowned her kids is like the whole Mexican folklore, you know, mm-hmm. of, of of stuff, you know, right. So in the in the in the special I did on Netflix, you know, you know, the uncle that you'd say you can ask him any question and he'd answer it. You go, hey, who would win between Annabelle and the Yorona? Who the little doll? Fuck, and Yorona would fuck that little doll up. <laughs> she killed her kids. She wouldn't fuck up a doll. You know that kind of shit. That, <laughs> so you grow you grow up with all those, you know, all that shit in your head. But in the house I grew up in, I never had it like I have it like I have it there. It just feels different. It's, man, dude, like I. You know, a guy was going to come and, and we we're going to do like, you know, we're doing all those Zoom meetings and he was going to come Sunday night to do the Zoom and he says, hey, I'm on my way over. I said, all right, I'm going to leave the door open, the side door, you come in there, I'm going to take a shower, get ready. And then as I'm getting ready, I can hear something downstairs and then I'm out, oh, he's here. And then he comes into the door and I go, would you forget something? And he goes, no, I just got here. And you see shit downstairs. Crazy. God, fucking God. That does a pretty big house. Does it make you want to leave or you want to stay? You know what, man? I thought about leaving, but. You kind of like it. I don't know. I think, I think it's time for that lady to come back. It, it's not like it was before I called that lady to come the first time. She did a pretty good job. This happened after she came. This happened before she came. Okay, okay, okay. When I saw that green head in that picture, yeah. I said, You called Also, her in up. that video, there's a reflection of somebody moving in a, in a picture in the hallway. I didn't show you. 
<laughs> but it's fucking strange, man, because the house is so old. Well, yeah, see, that's what I was going to say. L.A. houses, I mean, look, we're not as old as East Coast houses, but my house is from 1941, yeah. right? And it, the master bedroom is so much colder than any other room in the house. <laughs> And it creeps me the fuck out. You know out. what? And that's what shows up, fucking temperature. Yeah, temperature. There's a flash of light. Like, I'd be upstairs, and, and on the, so, the side of my eye, I'll see something that's like a flash. Mm-hmm. And, but I live alone. The first time I, I started to hear voices wasn't that long after I moved in, and uh, I heard, Ma! And I was like, what the fuck? fuck? And I'm like, <laughs> someone's, you know. Someone's in here, <laughs> and I went downstairs, but not nothing like the banging also. But it's got it's gotten a little bit better. But even people that have come into the house, and we did a DoorDash uh, uh, commercial for people, you know, waiters and stuff. Yeah, and and they do all the sound, and and then when the girl was packing up, she told me, "Hey, uh, there's a woman speaking talking in this room." I go, "Where?" Wow. She goes, "I'm low murmur, but there's somebody in this room talking." I said, "Oh yeah, yeah." My God. That's when I, that's why, I, that's the night I want to come over and do the, 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 who weed in the pool. That's what I want to do. I want to smoke weed well, yeah, with you and then sit around the house real fuck, quiet, man. listening, yeah. listening yeah, for that, shit. It's in that room right there. In here, we pour whiskey, whiskey. This holiday season, I'm giving thanks to our friends at Manscaped. Uh, do I tell my extended family that I have the performance package 4.0 for the global leaders in the below the waist grooming? Not to mention it includes their lawnmower 4.0 trimmer to tame my bush down, baby, and score brownie points with the in-laws. Gift yourself Manscaped or the man in your life who needs it. Join the 4 million men worldwide who have trusted Manscaped with 20% off plus free shipping by going to manscaped.com slash whiskey. Let me tell you something. You want to spread that holiday joy and cheer around, you got to do it with the thinned out bush, man. You need that lawnmower 4.0, the weed whacker, and the ear and nose hair trimmer, crop preserver, ball deodorant. I got all this stuff, man. The ball reviver, the tone of performance boxer briefs, and a travel bag to hold all your goodies. This is all inside. What a gift! That Santa's going to give. Uh, it also includes that weed whacker to chop your worst weeds up of your nose and your ear because, you know, you don't want to be that guy. Uh, don't forget the Manscapes uh, liquid formulations. They're like the pumpkin pie and ice cream after Thanksgiving dinner. Can't live without that crop preserver ball deodorant. Make your nuts stink good, dude. Manscaped has been uh, busy launched their refined body wash, two-in-one shampoo plus conditioner. Both, both feature the Manscaped signature scent and will help unlock your confidence this year. Your boys and body will be also oh fresh and clean when you start off your self-care routine with the ultimate body wash, shampoo, and conditioned. I've spoken very candidly about Manscaped. I love it. I use it to trim up my nuts, and I'm going to continue to trim up my nuts because it's 100% waterproof. Uh, the, it's phenomenal. You're not going to nick your nuts. It's not going to cut you. And get rid of those ingrown hairs. You don't want to be bumpy down there. You don't want to be lumpy, bumpy. Dude, what are you doing? Get yourself together and do yourself a favor and get 20% off plus free shipping by going to manscaped.com slash whiskey. That's 20% off plus free shipping by going to manscaped.com slash whiskey. Be thankful this holiday season for the best gift of all from Manscaped. Your balls will thank you. Hey, if you're into smoking a little bit of tree, uh, this is the company for you. Black Friday sales for Freeze Pipe are open now going on all week long. Smoking that cannabis doesn't have to hurt. Freeze Pipe making a unique line of freezable pipes, bubblers, bongs, and much, much more. Smoke from it. Freeze Pipe, make it. Okay? The secret is freezable glycerin chambers that cool smoke by over 300 degrees. It's like you're smoking in an igloo. When smoke passes through those frozen chambers, it's instantly cool for a smoother and bigger hit. Pop the glycerin coil in the freezer for one hour and enjoy bigger, smoother hits without the throat and chest burn. Huge, man. Nobody likes it. <laughs> Most people report that they cough much less with a freeze pipe. Hey, man. 
and everyone reports that it's the coldest bong they've ever ripped, dude. It's like you're it's like you're ripping down a mountain, dude. Ripping a bong simultaneously, dude. Ripping while you're ripping. Glycerin is a fatty gel commonly found in food and sweeteners. It freezes quicker than water and stays frozen for much longer. It's like putting ice in your bong, but on steroids. Be warned, chilling effect is very real. Most people don't realize how large of a hit they're taking until it's too late, but whatever, bro. I got to tell you, you got to try this. It is uh, it is muy bueno, man. Uh, and you know what? A lot of people a lot of people have switched uh, from smoking to eating because they don't like the way it feels on their lungs. And I got to tell you, I tried this freeze pipe myself, and it feels good. It feels really good, nice and smooth and nice and cool. Uh, and you don't get a big, huge, <laughs> ridiculous cough there. So upgrade your cannabis game. Go to thefreezepipe.com, thefreezepipe.com to get yours today. Uh, use the code whiskey and save 10% off your first order. That's thefreezepipe.com. Ginger. I like gingers. So you, wait, you said, you keep, you told me before that you, when, when you, when you got a divorce and the whole, your whole life kind of changed a little bit for you, but now being your age and being single again, are you, are you happy? Is this, is this where you want to be or no? Um, you know, um, I don't think I'll get married again. Yeah, you, you did it once. That was it. I did it once. Um, I spent a lot of time alone. You know, I always, I always spend time alone. You know, yeah. I play the guitar. You know, I, you know, trans- transcribe my shows, work in the car, watch TV, go golf over there. Remember the same yeah, club. Yeah. And, uh, you know, women have been interested, but um, I'm on that app, Raya. That Raya app. Oh, Raya. Yeah, that's and right. Raya, yeah, yeah, Raya. Raya yeah. And, uh, they, they, you know, if somebody says, why are you on fucking Raya? I'm like, you know, when you go fishing, sometimes you leave the pole there. And you can go walk off and right. come back. There might be something <laughs> on the hook. I've, this guy told me about it, and he, and he was friends with the guys who created it, and they put me on there. But uh, I haven't gone. I don't think I've gone on many dates with with the women from there. Yeah, because I feel like there's a certain age where you're like, I don't really want to chase and do all that stuff anymore. You'd rather just do your own thing. Well, you, you, you know, I think um, I don't know if it's in the way that women uh, are, but I've always had. I don't think when I was young, I had an easy manner. Like, mm-hmm. like I understand who I am. I understand where I came from. You know, I don't, I believe everything that's happened to me, but I don't rub it in anybody's face. Right. But also I've never, I, be, you know, I, I worked hard to become somebody that didn't fly off the handle hearing something that didn't go his way. Right. And, and in that easy manner, sometimes women, if they're around you, they take that for complacency. Mm. So they start to tell you how to kind of live and what you should be doing right. and you know how you could do better right what you could be doing be do this yeah. yes and and uh i probably have 15 different brands right now so Jesus. it's hard for somebody to say to me i think i think if you really kind of you know spent the next five years doing it's like bitch i got anheuser-busch brewing this beer that i've had for two <laughs> years now in colorado canning it and distributing it to the whole state of california which i think they'll end up buying you know, the brand itself, and then... What's it called, by the way? Um, Taloco, Taloco Brewing, and then there's four different ki- types of uh, beer. Damn. And the guy that... I, I just had some flavors that the guy worked at Stone Brewing for 30 years, and he just created this amazing stuff. Stone San, in, San in San Diego here. Yeah, that's right. Oh, I've, I've been there. That place is great. Yeah, so he we got him. And, you know, <laughs> I, I go in there, and I said, hey, man, can you remember those... Uh, 50-50 bars, like the outside is orange and the inside is like cream. Mm-hmm. He goes, yeah, yeah, a dream sickle. I say, yeah, you think you can make a beer? Yeah, I can do that. How about a beer? Like in Mexico, they use a lot of grapefruit and they use a little Presidente, like squirt. 
Can you make a beer taste like it's got like squirt in it? Yeah, of course I could do that. How about like hibiscus, you know, that kind of Jamaica, that 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 flower, hibiscus mm-hmm. flower. Oh, we could do that. And if I had this clipboard, I said, fuck it, man. Let's let this guy do it. And he, and he brewed all that shit. Job. That's wild, man. And that just came from changing agents, man. And somebody saying, I mean, you know, Paul, I bet Paul Newman in like 2006, five around there, I was at a golf tournament, Travelers up there in Connecticut. Mm-hmm. And I was always somebody that was talking to all the people and doing all this stuff and making people feel good. And he came over to say hello, and you know, we talked a little bit about about the hole in the wall gang and about his foundation and about all the products that he did. And I thought, wow, man, that must be really something, man, because you can go buy Oreo cookies, but they're Paul Newman dressing, mm-hmm. chips, salsa, mm-hmm. everything. And I thought, and it was in my head. I didn't say like, oh, I'm gonna be the Chicano Paul Newman, but when that guy said you ever thought about owning a restaurant, I thought, fuck, man, this would be a good chance to do, you know, what Brand. Paul Newman had done. Yeah, because what he did was, I think, a lot man. of kids like. You know, a lot of even friends in my generation may not know that he was. I mean, I think most people know he was a phenomenal actor, but like younger kids only know him as you know popcorn and chips and dressing and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But how amazing he was as an actor was like oh. even more, even more trumping. But like now, his name is cemented forever. I mean, you want you want to have Lopez, his name cemented this forever. Little dude, this little dude got out of this car. He's wearing all white. Mm-hmm. He had these two hearing aids. With these little antennas coming out <laughs> and his hair, he's old. He's got the bluest fucking eyes you've ever seen. Yeah. And he just, he just walked over and goes, I wanted to come over and say hello, hi to the guy there everybody's talking about. And you're like, fucking Paul Newman. Wow. That's got to fit that. Wh- who, was there, was there like someone of your gender when you were growing up that you looked up to that was in film or television? And it's like. Shit, I met everybody, Andrew. I mean, I, I, yeah. I, you know, I went to, I went to see Kiss in 1976, February at the Forum, you know. It was a $14 ticket. I had to beg my grandfather to, you would have asked him, you would have thought I asked him to fucking buy the house next door to him, you know? <laughs> yeah. This guy's like fucking made me just fucking grind for this $14. <laughs> and, you know, I was a Kiss fan, Kiss freak, whatever they call him. And then, you know, I have a poster of, picture of me young. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I was just showing somebody. And then I became friends with those guys. So I became friends with all the- With Gene and them? Yeah. With all the people that I admired growing up, man. Was I mean, there so, was there someone in comedy or, or or was there someone in comedy that influenced you a little bit? Was there somebody you were like, man, I love that dude. I wish I want to be like that dude. There's the 15 year old George. Wow, and man. Gene Simmons in the back. Yeah. And then here's the grown up George with Gene Simmons in the. That's fucking wild. Crazy. Doesn't that feel weird? Becoming friends with your heroes a yeah. little bit. But that's, I think uh, you know I saw Pryor. I would go see Pryor at his house, and um, Freddie Prince Jr. and I became became friends because Freddie was like. The, the reason I started doing stand-up, but, um, you know, to see Eddie Murphy, to have Eddie Murphy come to your house is, yeah. was fucking crazy. To have Eddie Van Halen come over and give me one of his amps and have his guy Matt come and plug it in and then play Unchained in my house was- What the fuck? Fucking amazing, man. And this uh, this may feel weird for, for me to ask you, but, like, do you feel, look- whether you like it or not, you're a, you're a legend in our world, and legend can sometimes be taken as like a negative connotation, like it's the aftermarket. But you're cemented forever in being a legend of comedy, right? Yeah. Fact. Yeah. And what's wild to me is like, does it ever kind of hit you that you're like, hey man, I am one of only a selected few Latino comics that are legends in this comedy game? Like, um, does that ever kind of fuck you up <clears throat> sometimes? Do you ever think you chain you literally? I mean, for young Latino comics, there's no doubt in my mind you and Rodriguez are probably the two names that they know the most, yeah. right? Yeah. That must feel something to you being a kid that grew up in LA, making it in LA, and in a Latino community that was, you know, how supportive 
yeah. of who you became. I mean, does that ever fuck you up sometimes? Um, Do you ever get perspective on it? I think every, you know, you know, it's funny, man, because, you know, Bruce Alford did Drew Carey and we were doing the show. We're writing the show and they said, okay, ABC doesn't want to name the show after you. We have to figure out a name. We have to figure out a name for you, figure out a name for the show. Okay. We're writing the first, you know, episode. We already got bought. We're not even figuring a name. They go, okay, let's take the weekend, Monday morning. We'll all get together. We'll come up with a name. I was trying to think of names. You know, there was a guy named Wilson Alvarez that was a pitcher for the White Sox. And I thought, Wilson Alvarez, you know, kind of Wilson and then Alvarez, you know. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, I had a friend of mine named Kenny Ramirez who had passed away when he was like 20. And I was thinking of all these things. And then I'm going to my lawyer's office and Bruce calls me and he goes, you're driving? Where are you? I'm driving. Pull over. Pull over in this thing right there by you know, right off San Marco Boulevard and the, and the 405. And he goes, I just got the phone with ABC and they want to call the show George Lopez. I said, I thought they wanted to name it after me. No, no, not the George Lopez show, just George Lopez. <laughs> I go, that's my name. Yeah. He goes, yeah, I know. I don't know. And he goes, but listen, you know, he goes, I've gone through the whole thing with Drew. And I've been with Drew when people, hey, Drew, hey, Drew Carey. So he goes, know that if you name your show George Lopez, like wherever you go, people are going to be in success. People are going to be like, hey, George Lopez. And I said, well, fuck it. Nobody knows me now. Why not? And, right. and it was George Lopez. And whenever somebody sees me, they don't say, hey, George. They say, hey, George Lopez. Oh, wow. All yeah. in like one word. Right. But, that it, but that, that's it though, right? <laughs> but like, I never, you know, you never think that. I mean, there's so, listen, I mean, the, one, of the hardest, it, it, one of the hardest things about being an actor or actress performer is when you have to go audition to somebody, with somebody and behind them, remember those, those open filing cap or open like uh, shelves they would have and they would have a uh, hundred scripts mm -hmm. and the name of the thing would be written in the binding. Yes. So you went in there to read and behind you, I could see a hundred shows that never went. Right. And then you're looking at that. I don't think they do it intentionally, but when you remember that you've gone to places to audition and behind them are hundreds of fucking shows that never, never made it. Never went. Why would you think that your show would make it? Yeah, that's And wild. then you just figure, I'm just going to work harder than everybody else. And what well, ended up fucking working crazy, out, man. man. It's crazy, <laughs> it fucking dude. worked. It's crazy. You know, I, the star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame was a big deal because when when uh, when we were 15, I had a friend of mine, Guillermo, who worked at General Motors, and you could buy a car for like, you know, a third of the price, and he had this fucking Trans Am, and he'd take the T-tops off, and we'd go to Hollywood Boulevard, but back in time for all my children, at noon, we all watched all my <laughs> children in the summer, but we would go and walk, and you would see George Burns' star, and I would stand there, and I would think George Lopez, George Burns, never fucking thinking that it was ever going to happen. And in 2006, on the on the 100th episode of my show, I got, got my star started. on the Walk of Fame. Wow. Crazy. That is fucking crazy. And you know, there's people that hate, and you know, that's fine. Probably would have bothered me more when I was younger, but now older, like I know... I even tell people like motherfuckers when I'm when I'm dead I'll still be around. That's yeah, that's right. And you know I'll never be gone. No, I mean I think it's I think it's it, to me what's always impressive. I started in LA. I'm from Chicago, but I started here, right? Mm -hmm. And the reason I moved here was because I wanted to sink or swim. I thought this was the only place I was. You know, if I went to New York, New York to me felt like it was close to home, and I was like, I need to be so far away from home that if it, it, it's going to either fuck me up or I'm going to beat it. Right. And it's a big deal to move, man. Like, I never had to move, but it's always interesting when you hear, because at some point, you say, I'm going to move, then you make the arrangements, and then a day comes where you're like, I'm leaving. Yeah. I had to, I mean, I, I got here on the 4th of July. Uh, I drove a U-Haul. I broke up with my girlfriend, and I drove a U-Haul here, and she was like, she, I mean, she wanted to fucking kill. I thought she was going to kill me in the middle of the night. I was staying in her place. 
because I didn't have a place anymore. <clears throat> and we I, we got drunk and we got into a fight and I was like, well, you're not coming to LA. And it would just, I would just, I needed to get it out because I was like, I don't want to, no. I, I was like, I, I had maybe, I think 800 bucks. 800 bucks was like all the money I had. And I was like, I can't go broke with you. I need to go broke. I need to be broke alone. You know what I mean? I can't be poor with two people. I was like, I can't do that shit. So when I moved here, uh, it was, it was one of those, I felt the risk like the fourth or fifth night because I remember the panic setting. Well, in where did like, you get here? So you drove and you stopped where probably stopped in Long Arizona. Beach. No, Long Beach, Long Beach, Long Beach. I, I moved, I went straight to Long Beach because, um, friends of mine from Northern California, they were like, I knew you want to move to LA. And they're like, you're, you're, you won't do it unless you come with us first. Cause they knew it was hard. I couldn't afford it. So they said, we have a couch. So I slept on a fucking lazy boy in Long Beach. <laughs> I would sleep on a lazy boy until, and then I started, my buddy was, a um, still is, he's a, a great gambler. And I would drop him off at commerce, you know, and all the, all the casinos. He had a truck and I would drop him off and I would take the truck up to LA, do shows and then go back and pick him up oh. after his. Shift at, at playing commerce or whatever it was, and so I did that for a while until I finally got up here. But and what was it that that started me off? Yeah. Um, I think it was like uh, the moment I realized that it was kind of cracking a little bit was uh, um, the Hollywood Improv was the first club to like pass me, um, and uh, they had you know I had been kicking around there doing the mics, and I did in one mic I did. I did so fucking well on the mic and all the other comics were annoyed. You know, they were pissed. You know, I crushed the mic yeah. and they were mad as fuck. And I remember if only my friends were stoked. They were like, man, that set was fucking great. And it was like the best four minutes that I had. You know, it was like, joke, 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 joke. It was machine gun jokes. <laughs> and they were like, you know, kind of like a little annoyed a few of the guys that I had fucked off. And so me and a couple of guys went to go eat at um, uh, uh, Cantor's and... Uh, which is fucking awesome. By and the way. we were sitting there. Oh yeah. And we were sitting there and we were eating and I was like, man, I just, I like, I, I know I'm going to get into that club soon. And sure enough, this is wild. You kind of, you're talking about dates and shit on my fucking birthday on October 16th was when I got the phone call that I could host my first paid spot at the improv. And wow. from then it was that, that was the feeling that I knew all these nights I was working, doing my day job and all that shit that, you know, I was working long fucking hours mm -hmm. day and night doing two jobs. And when I knew, when I got passed to do just a hosting spot and he was real strict back then, they used to tell you in the email, it was like, you are, you do not mm -hmm. do time between the fucking comedians. Mm -hmm. You know, like all, uh, nowadays, fucking everyone does whatever the fuck they want. Yeah. But it used to be like, you, you don't bother the biggest names on the, on the lineup. You, you shut the fuck up. You do the spot. You go back in the hallway and you wait. And I did all that. And I think that was the cracking moment for me. That was a trip, man. Cause, cause you got to see people that you saw on TV yeah. and that you thought you would never see. Standing then, right next to me. Or I'd bring him on stage. Yeah. I mean, that was that to me was kind of the wildest shit was to bring up guys that I was like, holy fuck, this I see I saw this guy's HBO special. Yeah. That it that kind of fucked me up a little bit. Yeah, it, it, it's a it's a trip, man, because you know, wherever you come from, the people that come like I'm from here, you know, we we're talking about that, we we're doing this thing, but but would I have had the same desire to be a comedian if I didn't have to travel, you know, fucking ten miles mm -hmm. to go to the comedy store or go to the laugh right. factory or, or the improv? I don't know. So anybody that comes from out of state, yeah, to me, I, I won't know what that's like, but I know it's a big decision. Yeah, it's Especially a life when, change. Especially when you say to somebody, you can't go, because if you take them with you, it, it's almost, you have the same issues you had there, but just <laughs> in a fucking tighter spot, yeah. in a newer place. Yeah, it was going like, to be way more expensive here. I would take these fucking girls with me, man. They were like, you want to come in with me when I perform? And, and you're like, yeah. And they would be like... Um, well, am I going to sit by myself? Do I have to wait by my, what are you going to do? 
when are you going to be done? And you're just like, fuck that, man. Just yeah. Go and fucking by yourself. Yeah. I wanted to drown alone. That's what it was. Because I thought I, those nights that I had that were sleepless nights, I was like, I want to. And I wanted to learn this city by myself. I wanted to kind of feel it out to kind of get through the the muck of it all. You know what I mean? Oh, tell me, by the way, uh, you, you reminded me. Just tell me the Griffith Park story that we were talking beforehand with the guy that with the um, with that orb or whatever. You know what I'm saying? That he cut that thing that you were talking about. Oh, or, shit. Or push that. Yeah. So, so going to Dodger Stadium as a kid. Yeah. Um. I remember when you know, my grandfather had this Pontiac and I'm playing with my friends in the street and he pulls up and I'm like, you know, every time you saw your grandfather come and get you or any your family come and get you in the car, you're, you're like, get in the car, motherfucker. <laughs> and then we get in the car and we're driving down the five and I'm like, where are we going? And they didn't say anything. And then we come over to Elysian Parkway and you see Dodger Stadium and you're just like, fuck, man, just mm -hmm. up and then you go down there. And we went to all these games, you know, I saw all these fucking great players play and, uh, um, as we drove down the five, you would see Los Feliz, you know, Los Feliz. And uh, it means the happy. And then you go and then um, uh, in fifth grade. But before that, even with Fernando Valenzuela, like we went to see Fernando pitch in uh, like 81, 80, 82. And we're driving in front of a fucking Corvette. And it says FV34. That was his number. And me and my buddy Ernie go, is that fucking Fernando in a vet? In a vet? Yeah. And, you know, he was just like three years out of Mexico. And we go around <laughs> the side, and it's him in a vet by himself going to Los Feliz. And we're honking, man. And he looks over, and he goes like this. And we're like, oh, stop. He gets off on Los Feliz and goes up Los Feliz. And I'm like, man, now I got to live in Los Feliz. So we went, in fifth grade, we went to the observatory. Mm -hmm. uh, Adele did a show over there. Yeah. So when you go into Los, into the observatory, there's a, there's a, gold wire hanging with like this huge pendulum that that goes back and forth and it tells the world's time as the world moves this pendulum moves and mm -hmm. it's perfect on time and at the bottom it moves and it's this thing from the top of the uh, from the observatory down so in fifth grade we're all standing there looking down and all of a sudden this fucking kid reaches out like this like a hook and pulls the wire <laughs> and the fucking pendulum falls to the bottom boom and that wire goes up to the top, like you see in the movies, like just like a pigtail. And fucking it, these, all these fucking guards come out at the observatory, like everybody outside, outside there, they're fucking grabbing you like this. What the fuck? So there were all these like three schools there, and they fucking interviewed everybody mm -hmm. to see who did it. Of course, everybody fucking thought I did it, but the guy that did it, I really didn't look look at him. But all I could just see was somebody lean over and pull on and it and pull it, man. Why they think it was you? Were you were you that kind of kid that did did that shit all the time? Were you always in trouble? Uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I think so. <laughs> yeah. But you're a little Chicano, a little dark motherfucker. You'd be like that guy did it. But but the sound <laughs> of that fucking gold pendulum hitting the bottom of. Yeah, not prepared to hit the sunk bottom in of your head. Thing. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't and supposed that to. Wire going, and I don't think I've been in there since. And seeing the Adele thing, you know, it's like I had to go in there again. And then, uh, um, but they threw everybody out. Man. Yeah, I mean, that thing had never been disconnected. <laughs> I think since the starting of, of the observatory, and and uh, and I live right around the corner from that from the, from the observatory. Are you over there now? Yeah, I'm over there right now. Yeah. What what feels like? What part of LA feels like it's changed the most? as you've grown older in the you know city. what the, the hollywood boulevard sunset because you know you're in europe you know i never really travel as a, as a kid and then you start to go to europe and then you'll see that they'll have restaurants on the bottom and then living on top yeah and that was never kind of the way in la and now if you go down hollywood boulevard they have you know uh commerce down below and then above residential above yeah, yeah. And, and it's destroyed that whole kind of look of 
of uh, like you go down Fairfax or you go down La Brea, and it's all just that stores down there and then living above. Right. It, it changes the dynamic of of you know on YouTube you could look and see somebody drive down the sun, Sunset Boulevard in nineteen you know seventy nine versus now. Yeah. But you know to drive you know I, we my buddy Nerdy and I would go in his uh, in his uh, Chevy. Uh, 60, a 66 and you know, we, I remember we saw, uh, Richard Deacon, you know, the boss on, uh, <laughs> on, uh, on Mary Tyler Moore yeah. or Alan Hale, the skipper from Gilligan had his own restaurant. And I saw, uh, uh, Alan Carr who did Saturday Night Fever. Uh, I saw famous Amos on Sunset because the, 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 that, that, uh, Argentinian restaurant used to be a famous Amos, <laughs> a cookie place. So if you drove around there, yeah, you see hookers, but also you'd see famous. I fucking saw Chevy Chase in a Porsche, right in front of the Comedy Store. I saw Richard Pryor in front of the Comedy Store. Yeah, and you would see you would see people, man. It felt it feels a lot different now. It's, you won't, yeah. Back then you could see somebody. Now, do you think you'll live the rest of your life in L.A.? Is, um, you know, I, that's a good question. I I think that as I start to get, you know, in my, I think by sixty five, I'll probably maybe move out. Like I could see myself living in Europe a little bit. Really? Yeah. Where would you go? I would I would live in Amsterdam. I would probably find a place. I got a buddy that's a lawyer in Scotland over by Troon. Uh-huh. Oh and yeah. I said, hey motherfucker, I'm gonna come and live next to you. Let's play some man. fucking golf. And he goes, Hey, we'll play every day. I mean, that's a hard but by myself. My daughter's twenty five. It's a hard offer not to not to take up. Well yeah, and it's your is that your only one kid, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so then you're good now. And She's you know, wrong. Her her and I signed a deal with the, we, NBC, we sold Lopez versus Lopez with Bruce Helford who did my first show. Yeah. To create the show about about our lives after the divorce. Is she an actor? She went to she got in the second city. Oh no shit. When she was nineteen. She wow. went to the second city and she's she's good. She went to Campbell Hall out here and um you know, I think that uh, you know, she was so charming in the in the Zoom meetings when we sold the show. I think they were more excited to talk to her than than to me. Like I remember <laughs> I said something and they were like, Okay, anyways, uh dated. You're like I'm George Lopez, by the way. You but also, guys know. You, you don't want to be dated. Like you don't want to say some shit where they go, "Okay, Dad, thanks." You know right. that kind of shit. That right? Did she do that dated. to you? Did she do? Did I she... did that on that fucking Zoom meeting where <laughs> they all they all went like, "Okay, anyways, mine." What did you What did you say? Fucking that, some bullshit. Some I thought bullshit. it was funny, but yeah, they didn't like it. Yeah. So I did. You know, we did this thing. Um, you know, Mr. Cartoon, the the graphic, yeah, yeah. the artist, and Esteban, yeah. the guy from LA Originals. You know, they came to me with this with this idea called "Once Upon a Time in Atlan." All of Mex- Atlan, Mexico, you know, it used to be LA kind of thing about this, like a Sopranos, this guy that don't, works at a linen factory. He's the boss and he's got uh, a son who who he's estranged from, another one that just got out and stealing cars, and, and a daughter that runs a club, and then a daughter that goes to UCLA. And then I'm playing the, fa- I'm a grandfather in this, wow, in this fucking thing. And you can't believe it, man. That's wild. And I'm doing this scene down under by the Sixth Street Bridge. I got this 1939. Fucking Chevy, fucking badass car. I'm driving it. You know, we collect cars. You know, it's kind of like that car lifestyle sure. in LA. Yeah. And I'm like, hey, don't ever come down here without me. All right. And we're going down here and you just see these cars and cartoons. You're just like, fucking man. Crazy. Then, Mr. Cartoons did that show with you? He's Who, an executive producer. Where's it on? It's going to be on Amazon. Oh, that's fucking dope. And you know what? Every, we, you know, we sold it as a thing and then they make you do like a pilot of it, you know, so they yeah. cut it in half. But, but today's the last day of, uh, of shooting. I finished yesterday. But, it's good. pretty solid, man. It's good. And you know, those guys, like, you know, as much as you love those guys, you know, they're Chicano, so they're like, you've got to do it like this. And you're like, no, let's do it 
like this, mm-hmm. and then if we get picked up to series, then we'll do it like this. <laughs> right. right. Well, let's do it. Let's do it more like this first. Right. You have to. That's our part I of the business. From, I learned from Bruce, man. I learned from. I learned from the best, man. That you got to, you, sometimes you have to like, you have to please a lot of the parties. Then when it goes, then you can get to narrow it down to the thing that you're when like, When Seinfeld did comedian, like. that dude, that guy, Army, whatever that guy's name was, and the other comedian. Yeah, yeah, in yeah. In the thing where he yeah. got pissed off and left, you know. Um, somebody had a discussion with me when I was, when we were starting to pitch a show. And they said pretty much like, listen, you, you guys kind of live with your material and you're very connected to it. But here, you have to remember that what is said today might not be what's said tomorrow. Right. So stay in the game and don't say, fuck it. If it's not this way, I'm out, which a lot of people did. Yeah. And then you're out of the game. Stay in the game until you see what's going to transpire in the game. You take yourself out of the game, you're out of the game. And I thought, man, wow, what fucking great advice. It's real advice. I mean, well, like, did you ever, did, when you were doing your show, you were sacrificing any of your stand-up jokes for the show? Like, did you, you ever know, take I, bits? I, I did, but I did, but, you know, I wasn't really kind of known, you know, I wasn't really kind of a known dude by then. Right. You know, I'd even done, I don't think I'd done some CDs, but it wasn't like I was giving up the best stuff that I had. Right. So, you know, you know, my grandmother w- was, a, was the basis of the mom and then the wife was a little bit different from man, but then having a daughter, but the friend was named Ernie. And it was just really kind of the stuff where, you know, um, it came more from my life than it came from the writers. Sure. And I think that's, that was the, that was essential to that show, especially because I met with a guy that wrote for cheers and I went to meet him at Paramount and this motherfucker sat in this office and across the table, he said to me, I don't write for Latinos. I write comedy. <laughs> and I'm like, uh, well, fuck out of here. <laughs> I'm a comedian. Yeah. Yeah, but I don't, I don't know where you come from. I don't know. I wouldn't know what to write. And I was like, is this motherfucker serious? <laughs> Holy shit, man. And I left. I mean. Yeah, what a fucking dick. Oh, I mean, I left, you know, Paramount's on Gower. I had to walk, walk the street to, to walk across the street to my, the parking garage and in my car. Mm-hmm. And the whole time I was like, fuck, man. Like, am I fucked because of the way I look or because of the way I am? And no, you're never, you, you're never fucked the way, because of the way you are. You just have to find the right. You have to find the right people to yeah. fit. Yeah, and, it's, and it's hard. You know it's hard. It's yeah. always going to be hard. Yeah. But but uh, anybody that comes out here from wherever that has a dream, it's not impossible. No, you can do it. That's the fucking best thing about yeah. being out here is that, I, you know, I turned into a fucking dramatic actor. I was never, you know, I couldn't even act. You know, comedians mostly, you know, nobody ever asks us. You know, when those guys were getting deals, nobody ever asked, like, yeah. can you act? They, they know you're funny. Yeah, they wanted to the check. They were like, mm-hmm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then I read with the guy uh, in 2001, they played my best friend uh, right before we went to the Christmas break. And and they said, why don't you read? He, he looked like he was going to get the part, the guy, Valente Rodriguez. Mm-hmm. And they said, why don't you guys read together? And I couldn't read for shit. And I looked <laughs> over at my partners, Bruce and Robert. They were like this, like, and I said, fuck it, man. And then- when I got home, I said, I need to find an acting coach. And I found the right coach. And I had an acting coach with me for the first 102 episodes of my show. Damn. I knew that I couldn't do it alone and pay for it out of my pocket. But also, nobody would do that because they go, why would you pay for it out of your pocket? It's like, hey, man, fuck all that shit. Like, I'm not worried about Warner Brothers paying for it or the show paying for it. I'll pay for it. And I'll just show up every day and be better than I was the week before. And it worked. And it worked. And it worked really fucking man, well. It was amazing. That's fucking you, because you had no formal training as a kid. I had no you, formal you, you never did at all. Never no. did any of that shit. When I first went to the acting coach, she would say, "Okay, 
uh, read it to me. I couldn't even read to her. I would say, read, why don't you read it to me and then I'll hear it and then I'll go and do it the way that you say it. And she's like, no, that's not fucking acting. <laughs> but that's how kind of introverted I was where I couldn't, um, I couldn't even act with her. Right. She got me out of that. She was a great, a great Warner Laughlin, great, great phenomenal teacher. And I want to ask you real quick, uh, because I appreciate your time. I know we got to go soon. Um, how good are you at golf? Are you a stick? We got to play. What Let's are we, play. What but, are we talking? But, you know, you know. How long have you been playing golf? Well, uh, you don't have to. You know, you don't <laughs> have to be playing a long time to be good. Yeah, I started playing 1981 on Christmas Day as a dare. My friend Ernie called me up around 12:45, and he's like, "What are you doing today?" I'm like, "Bro, nothing, man. It's Christmas. <laughs> it's fucking Christmas." <laughs> we went to El Carrizo and Silmar. Mm -hmm. We went and played. Uh, we laughed, drank some beers. Had fun, didn't know what the fuck we were doing, and I never put a club down. And it's interesting, man, because, you know, I played baseball my whole life. I loved baseball. Yeah. But also what I didn't realize is that I quit at everything that was tough, that was hard. You know, right. I quit at uh, guitar, I quit at accordion, I quit at karate, all these fucking kids are taking karate. <laughs> and it wasn't until my baseball coach in high school, God, Steve Martin, he passed, we had a brand new batting cage and some equipment. And in order to pay for the equipment, the, the baseball team had a car wash and we had to sell tickets. This is the turning point of my fucking life right here. So I'm 17 and I can't talk to anybody. I didn't sell any fucking tickets. So I take the book back to him and he looks at the book and I remember he turned around and he goes, you owe me $250. And I said, for what? For these tickets. And I said, I didn't sell any. He goes, no, no, but you're going to benefit from using the equipment, but you're not going to sell any tickets, so you're liable for the 250 I said, no, fuck that. <laughs> and he said, fuck what? I said, I'm not giving you shit. And he got in my face, and he goes, you know what? It just That's who you are, huh? You're a, a fucking quitter. You don't want to sell a fucking ticket. You want to use some shit for free. You, you, I like to see where you become... In 10 years, a fucking quitter. Because when shit gets tough, you fucking quit. You couldn't sell a fucking ticket, so you didn't fucking sell any, did you? And we're just like this. <laughs> and I, and he goes, you're a quitter. You've always been a quitter. You'll always be a fucking quitter. He goes, you know what? Check in with me in fucking 10 years and tell me where you're at. I look I looked back at my friends and those dudes, you know, this is a 17-year-old kid fighting with his baseball, an adult fucking yeah. male. And those guys were like this. like. <laughs> so I started playing golf and... At El Carrizo, and when it got tough, I would quit, pick it up. After nine holes, I'd say, hey, you guys go ahead, man. I got to go do some things. Lying to myself. And then one time I picked it up, and then I was leaving. It's like that motherfucker's head came over my my shoulder, and he's like, you're a quitter. I fucking was like, fucking holy shit, man. If it wasn't for golf, I wouldn't have realized that when shit got hard, I, I fucking bailed. I just thought you could bail and, and have no repercussion. Bail. I'm bailing these guys. Right. But you're bailing on your life. And I was like in the car like, holy shit, man. And I went back to high school. Nobody had even seen me in high school for fucking four years. Never went back for anything. That alumni games and all that shit. And I, I drive up and the baseball team's still practicing. I'm in this car. And they start, the guys start going in the locker room. And he's there picking up the equipment like he'd always been. And I walk up and he turns and he sees me walking. He can't see, figure out who it is. And he's like, is that my third baseman right there? I say, hey, what's up, coach? He goes, what are you doing here? I say, hey, man, I came to apologize to you. He goes, for what? for the way that I behaved when I was here, you know, you, you know, you told me I was a quitter. We had that thing, you know, not, didn't respect you as a person. And I think you were right, you know, so I just want to come and tell you that 
apologize for the way I behaved and you were right about me. And he said, you came here to tell me that? And I said, yeah, I put it. I still remember his hand being put out and he goes, there's hope for you yet. <laughs> and fucking, I don't think I could have lived one day of my life if I hadn't have gone to apologize to him for the way I behaved. And I hadn't apologized to anybody in my life. Damn. That was the first time in my life I ever apologized to somebody. And then I started to realize, well, what, what had I quit? I said, I quit standup. That's the only thing I ever wanted to do. And then, and on April 23rd, 1984, I was 23 years old. I was living on my friend's couch mm -hmm. in fucking Pacoima. I got up and it was a Monday, of course, Monday night, open mic. Yeah. Comedy store Westwood. That's right. And went back there, man. That was the and beginning. I started again and I said, I'm not going to quit until I realize what happens, good or bad. Yeah. Wow, man. Fuck, George. <laughs> fucking, I don't think I've ever told anybody all of those. That's fucking wild. Fucking wild, man. And even though I'm older and I fucking see, I still remember myself as a fucking young guy. And, yeah. you know, like I appreciate you coming from Chicago and doing all the things you had to do because I know it's not easy. Yeah, it's a it's, grind. It's virtually impossible, but it's not impossible. But whatever impossible is, us making it is just fucking right, right there. That's yeah, right fucking and there. A lot of motherfuckers quit and they could have made it. Yeah. And I, I thought I'd never want to be one of those dudes that, like that guy Joey said, was good and I never gave myself an opportunity because I quit on myself. I mean, I grew, I had a lot of guys I started with that I thought were phenomenal comics and they quit. So yeah, many dude. guys that were fucking, I mean, amazing joke writers and they quit. And I was like, man, if they just didn't quit, if they just had that like extra push to go through the shitty times, they would be huge. But, you know, that and is all that's that a part is of it. all hard, man. You know, trying to find parking to go to an audition. Oh, yeah. Trying to get there on time, going in there. Especially when you're broke and you got to, can you can you get a button-down shirt? And you're like, I don't have a, I don't have a new button-down fucking shirt. You know what I mean? Oh, well, they don't like blue shirts. You have to go buy a new white shirt and all that shit. And yeah, all, all those things add up to the frustration. It's kind of like the cop gives the ticket to the guy who can't afford to pay the ticket because he's got to go to his job to get the money, but he can't get the job. You know, it's like that trickle down of a yep. constant, of the constant chaos. But, um, but you know, when I, when I was late, you know, when I was late paying my, um, my car payment and I would drive down Barham to go to the bank and pay in person and I would see Warner brothers on the right hand side. I would, I would think to myself, what the fuck do you have to do to get in there, man? Mm -hmm. It just and seemed like this fortress, man. Like, it is. What do you have to you put do? Put up those to, big fucking walls fucking, and gates. They, they would put all the shows up there. Right. And I would think, what do you have to do to get in there? And well, fucking, I got it. Figured it out. <laughs> got to fucking work hard. All right, George, are you are you on the road right now? Are you going to do some dates? Can we talk about some dates um, or no? What are you doing? Do you know yeah, what you're I'm doing? Yeah, I'm doing a little bit. This I'm comes out, out in, a couple, in, uh, in a week. Um, where are you uh, going to be? I don't know, man. Yeah, just go to the website. That's they're where he's going to be. Go to George, what is it, georgelopez.com? Yeah. yeah. Go check out George on the I road. We're boys now, man. Yeah, man. Know. We had a well, connection, we got, brother. Hey, man, we got to crack them. I want to go play. I've been playing. I started playing when I was. I mean, my dad loved golf, and he's terrible at golf. It's so funny. He always loved golf. But when I was a kid, my grandfather was always this. He was a fireman, and he um, he always made fun of the— His thing was, like, making fun of the rich. You know, that was a rich man's game. <laughs> yeah, of course. And then when golf slowly became something that you could do at park districts in Chicago, right. started owning courses. So they were much more affordable. You know, it was like— in the early 90s, you could go play golf for 25 bucks at a, you know what I mean? Yeah. And then my grandfather got into it when he retired later in life, but he always used to shit on golf. We'd make fun of it. So in my mind as a kid, it was always this rich, rich guy sport. Yeah. Even today, people say that, but you can be a guy who, who, you know, who makes an average living, a good living and go play public courses. They're fucking everywhere. But you, you know, can, also if you, if you, go if get you some like shitty golf clubs. and you go hit some balls, 
hitting balls is good fucking therapy too. Oh man, man it feels so nice. Just go to the driving range. Go and somebody goes, range. oh yeah, but it's all expensive. I go, dude, you can go get a you can go get a set of old clubs mm -hmm. for like a hundred bucks. Easy. Easy. You can go get an old shitty set of clubs and go smack them around. And uh, I started I, around high school and then I quit. And then I quit because I, I didn't want to do it anymore. I don't have a beautiful story about a coach, but no. but I gave it up. And then I started again because I was like, I need a way to get out of my own space because I was always working. It was always like, either I'm trying to do stand-up or I'm going to this audition or I'm trying to create this. And, I'm just, and at some point I was like, I want a little bit of getaway time. And I started again, probably in my late 20s, maybe, you know, I, st I kind of really started yeah. to play again. Because I would just, in college, I would just go get drunk with friends and go smack balls around and we'd <laughs> yeah, never yeah. finish. yeah. But, but, but you know when you're by yourself it it's uh it's a great getaway thing because you're still thinking but you're not in some one place stuck yeah and you go over and you put a little bit and stuff like that i get away from this i mean the the, yeah. the business and the life and all that stuff like yeah. all i'm thinking about is fucking around and, and golf yeah so it's a good getaway we'll play who, 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 who you had some sponsors to help you get in yeah guys i will I, yeah yeah i got some guys i'll <laughs> tell you off camera who got me in i'll yeah. tell you the way they snuck me in yeah, there when I, I got in there in uh 2000 and like uh four and uh um i've been in there this whole time and then and then when somebody wants to be a new member and they ask me would you write me a letter i was like yeah i might not be the right person but i can direct <laughs> you i can direct you to who the right person might be but but i yeah. think golf is, is it's it's you know if it wasn't for golf i'm not sure that i would have the life that i have and it just seems so kind of uh innocuous that it would be golf but you know, Lee Trevino and I are friends, like family, oh, wow. fucking calls all the time. And we talked to it. It's like, it's been a great, it's been beautiful. a great thing to have. Yeah. yeah, it's beautiful. All right, my man, George, I appreciate you. Look yes, in sir. that camera right there. And we end the show the same way. One word or one phrase. I used to say one word and then some people were like, well, I don't know where it all, but if you have one word or one phrase to end the episode, say it into that camera, whatever, uh, whatever you want. Chingon. In here, we pour whisk, 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 whisk. Creature in the ginger beard. Sturdy and ginger. Like vampires, the ginger gene is a curse. Gingers are beautiful. You owe me five dollars for the whiskey and seventy-five dollars for the horse. Gingers are hell no. This whiskey is excellent. Ginger. I like gingers. <laughs>